Good morning and welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where I interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast and try to help us all get a little bit coffee smarter in the process by asking coffee questions to our coffee experts. I'm your host, Ryan Wolt. Today, Siri Simran Kalsa, Executive Director of Coffee at Lofty Coffee in Southern California, is joining the show for the first time in Season 3 to give us some advice on how to take our coffee appreciation from our beginner level to maybe an intermediate level, and to direct us to some resources that can help us on our journey. While you're listening today, take a moment to follow at Lofty Coffee on the social media feeds so you can see all the cool stuff she is doing, and while you're there, follow at Roast West Coast because... Well, because why not? What's one more friend or follow, right? Bonus points if you share the show with a friend. I hope your coffee mug is full today because we're going to get right into it and get coffee smarter with Siri. Siri, welcome back to the Roast West Coast podcast. We are in season three, and before I do anything, I want to say welcome to pumpkin spice season. It's here in all its glory. <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it's been a long time since I've seen you or talked to you, I think since July, maybe even June. Before we get started with any coffee expert stuff, what's up with you? What's up with Lofty? What's the world like? Yeah, things are moving quickly. (laughs) Well, we are actually in the middle of doing a lot of projects at our roasting facility. Um, We are upgrading our roaster. Uh, We're currently roasting on a 15 kg Loring Falcon, which has been my main coffee roaster for the last six years. And we're upgrading it to a 35 kg Kestrel Loring. And so preparing the roasting facility to have an installation of a new roaster, but then also preparing all the other things that come with being able to produce more coffee. So it has been a very hectic few months. (laughs) Is that nerve? I don't mean to interrupt. Is that nerve wracking for you at all? Just switching from something you've spent so much time on to something new? Same, same family of roaster, but it's new. Yeah. So we're probably going to be getting the roaster in late November, December. That gives us a little bit of time. It's not like this immediate switch. Um, Something we've decided to do is actually also keep the smaller 15 kg roaster. So that will be at least like there and operational like during this transitional period. And there's definitely going to be a learning curve, but I am more excited than anything to just expand my um, knowledge and ability to be a little bit more diverse in how I uh, approach roasting. So yeah, it's all good. And um, you mentioned the time of year uh, this year, particularly and definitely because of the pandemic, we have seen major delays and not only the coffee industry, but all industries, <laughs> that being delays with um, importation and receiving product logistically. And we we finally actually over the last couple of weeks received coffees that we were expecting months ago. Um, and these are like mainstays on our menu and coffees that we've been buying for many years. So it's just really exciting to have some familiar coffees back in our lineup 
and um, to kind of hone in on our, our staples, that being our blends, but then also we have some amazing single origins coming that those, these last couple of weeks I've been working on that I'm really excited to share with everyone. That's awesome. When you say shipping delays, that's literally, and this is something I've been reading a lot about lately, but like literally ships, like boats are like kind of stuck in a lineup. Literally boats. Yeah. It's not just like this generic thing. (laughs) No, I was talking to one of our uh, import partners and they showed me this photo because I guess they were in um, the Bay area because that's where we actually warehouse our coffee. So he showed me this photo of the port And it was just, I think there were like 50 plus ships just in the water, stuck in the water. And that being, there's just major delays with unloading these containers and these ships. So I think someone was telling me there was a container out on the water. It was at the port, but on the water for almost 80 plus days before it got unloaded. And then, and then there's the, the whole logistics of unloading a container and then um, the logistics of shipping the products from that container to a roasting facility. So, which is many, many, um, and again, we're not the only industry experiencing this when we are, as we have lots of project going on, you know, there's things that we'll order from other types of like paper, like the paper industry, for example, like we're completely out of our like shipping boxes. So it's like ran just like random things that uh, have obviously been uh, impacted. I think we've all learned a lot about how connected these things are, but like buying a car, like a car can be completely built, but like one little chip isn't ready and it may be six months, it may be a year, you don't know. What about you? I mean, how are you doing as a person? I'm doing good. I, uh, I outside of work, um, have just been trying to be outside as much as possible. Um, I'm not sure if I've talked about this in the past, but during like actually right when the pandemic happened, I got into rock climbing. And so I've been pretty going pretty full force with that, taking opportunities to go outside and camp and be, uh, in with the rocks and the nature uh, <laughs> you a few weekends ago we we took a trip out to Holcomb which is in the Big Bear area and it was just so nice because it was it was still a little hot so not a lot of people were there but we brought the dog and he just had a blast um he he met a deer for the first time oh boy um, he had no idea what to do <laughs> he's like what the hell is that <laughs> um <laughs> I know on the other side of the country, there's like a, a group of zebras that have escaped like where they were living and they're just like kind of living in nature. Wow. And they're trying to. Oh, my goodness. They're trying to catch them and return them to their owner. Is I think it's Maryland. And the, the conversation mm-hmm. is like, well, they seem to be doing fine out there. Like maybe we just leave them be. And like it's a lot more interesting to see a zebra than a deer uh, on the side of the road as you're driving. Oh, my goodness. That would be wild. It would be. like, And if you didn't know that <laughs> news story to just come across the zebra, you'd have to just be like, what is in my coffee today? Like it is what? intense. <laughs> Outside of work, but still coffee related. I have a friend who moved to San Diego from Providence. Her name is Sophie Short. And she is a consultant for cafes and roasteries. And she, when she moved out here, she's she hasn't even been here for a year, but she's really gung-ho about 
the coffee industry and community events. So her and I partnered up to kind of revitalize the San Diego Coffee Network, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Um, Pre-pandemic, it was uh, a community-based organization that would put on like events for coffee professionals and that being latte art throwdowns, town halls, uh, just like social events. And just a couple weeks ago, we did our first, because we kind of are are taking it over to just facilitate and help any community members who want to put on events. Um, And we we did our first event and it was called What's That Smell? And it was a friendly competition. It was a friendly competition of a sensory competition where competitors would um, blind smell different smells <laughs> and um, the top competitors who got the most right would move on to the next round and there were some grand prizes and it was a grand old time. We also had some other uh, sensory event uh, activities based around organic acids and little tests that you can do to learn if you're maybe a super taster. So that was really fun and very exciting to, to see the outcome of that. A lot of people showed up and uh, we hope to put on more events very soon. That's very cool. Yeah. We'll definitely look for more events from the San Diego coffee network network threads. Um, uh, the, the whole smelling contest thing is about the most wholesome and nerdy thing that I've heard in a long time. I know. It's like, I'm just imagining like someone walking around with a jar, like smell this and, and figuring it out. So, totally. But I love it. Uh, speaking of coffee, I should ask you a question today. Uh, and I have one, which is I'm, I'm wondering what your advice is kind of for beginning or intermediate coffee drinkers on kind of how to take that next step. Like I, I've gotten excited about coffee. I go to good coffee shops. What is the next level of um of my coffee drinking and you just kind of mentioned smells so i think that's kind of a good a good segue yeah um i think it's a great question because um i think we've all been there i think my my launch into okay i'm interested in this how can i learn more was like to me that time in my life is very vivid and i like i can remember specifically the very first coffee shop I worked for, there was somebody there who, who was a lot more experienced than me and showed a lot of passion for it. And I find that I found that to be really inspiring. And so I looked to him, I was like, like, what should I do? How do, how do I learn more? Um, And one of the first things that I did was he suggested, you know, go to all sorts of different coffee shops and just taste their espresso. And at the time, I I loved coffee, but I wouldn't say like espresso was my beverage of choice. And I I actually now that we're speaking about this, I wonder if because now that is my that's like my go to favorite coffee drink. (laughs) And um, I wonder if that's kind of influenced that where any time I was walking around and I saw a coffee shop that looked either it had a cool, interesting looking espresso machine or I liked the design of their cups or something that like intrigued me. And at the time I lived in New York, so you are kind of walking around and there are tons of coffee shops and little shops everywhere. So it was kind of easy to just be like, huh, what's that? And then pop in and just tasting all sorts of different espresso. And you start to like 
identify things that you do and don't like about them. And for me at the time, it was not so much like, oh, I taste this dark chocolate or t-. it was more of like, I don't like this aftertaste or there's some sweetness or, um, whoa, this is really bitter. <laughs> um, and kind of from there, I being able to identify things that I did and didn't like, because at the end of the day, coffee is so, um, so much about preference. And from there, I, I really started to learn what it is that I did and didn't like. And uh, furthermore, I think, as you said about the smells, is understanding, yeah, there's coffee can be able this full um, sensory experience. So if you really want to get into it, you can, there are so, all sorts of uh, resources out there in the sense of learning how to taste and smell. Um, a few of those being, one being the uh, coffee flavor wheel. I think that's a super helpful thing where it's like, okay, I, I enjoy coffee, but what is it that I enjoy about it? How can I further identify those things? And to me, while the coffee wheel is a little bit limiting because you know, it only has so many flavors. Uh, and I think you could get stuck in like, these are the only flavors that exist in coffee where, where, you know, all of our experiences can influence the things that we, we taste and smell in coffee. So while it can be a little limiting, I think the color scheme, and again, it's a great way to just get into like, okay, these are flavors that I could identify with. Even furthermore, there's a this really cool thing called the lexicon that the world coffee research put together that I've in, in the smelling activities that I've done, I find very helpful because you can, in the lexicon, you could go to blueberry and it'll tell you exactly in, in like adjectives and words, what blueberry tastes and smells like. And then it gives you essentially a recipe to recreate to what the world coffee research standard of blueberry tastes like. So you could go in there, exactly recreate what blueberry tastes and smell like that. For example, I think I'm forgetting blue. I think blueberry might be like blueberry smuckers jam (laughs) where it's like, you could go to the grocery stores and get like the, the exact brand of that blueberry jam. And then that's how you could identify what blueberry tastes and smell like. And I know right now in the day of COVID that this is not super accessible, but whether it be a local coffee shop or a local coffee importer or a community event, but reaching out and, and cupping uh, and, and seeing if there's these local businesses that do public cuppings, because that's a great way to taste a lot of coffees all at once and then further be able to see okay there's this coffee this coffee and this coffee and now that I'm tasting them all side by side I can see that there's these different nuances and flavors and aromas and um, you can start to differentiate them so yeah I feel like I'm rambling no no no. Uh, that's (laughs) but that's uh, (laughs) uh, that's one of the things that I love about our conversations is sometimes I'm like oh I think that I'm gonna have I'm gonna ask another question here and then you keep going and I'm like oh I know that's a whole nother topic I have to think about so at Lofty, do you guys put tasting notes on your bags? And I have a just yes or no, because I have a reason why I'm asking. Yes. You do. Okay. So I have talked to some roasters who like to put tasting notes kind of for what you're talking about as people are learning, they can engage with that coffee and have things they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, I also have talked to roasters who like don't want to do it because they want people to experience it without any preconceived 
notions of what they're tasting. And I thought that, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. I actually, I recently had this conversation with another local coffee roaster where, yeah, it's, I think I, I totally understand the latter of not putting tasting notes and allowing people to experience the coffee for what it is. But I do find, and I I speak to this from the experience of dealing with customers and essentially selling them coffee, is that if we're, something we do at Lofty is we try to move away from the terms like light, medium, dark, just because they're, they're a bit arbitrary. What might be a dark roast to you might be a a medium roast to me. Um, It's just, it's a broad, those are broad terms that can just not really be as like, for example, the darkest roast at Lofty is no, nowhere close to a dark roast that you might get at the grocery store. So if I tell a customer, this is our dark roast and they're expecting something else, then they're like, oh, this is not what I wanted. So moving towards more descriptive languages and and adjectives and words that can help a customer understand what it is that they're getting, I find to be very helpful, especially for people who aren't, you know, there's, there's the reality that not everyone that comes to our coffee shop is super coffee nerd who really like, really cares a lot about certain aspects that we care about. And they just want a good cup of coffee. And being able to give them some ideas of what the coffee is going to taste like, I think has always helped me, you know, first of all, sell that coffee to my customer, but then also that they come back and they're like, you know what, I did have this coffee and it did taste like this and I really liked it. So I'm going to get it again. Or I really liked it, but I actually want to try something that's maybe a little bit more full bodied or uh, has more like traditional chocolatey flavors. So to to go off what you're saying though, and I, I talk about this on the cupping table with the junior roasters and the other people that I cup with, is sometimes when we're cupping, we'll have a very specific flavor that sticks out to us. But then we'll be like, okay, is the general public gonna be able to identify with this flavor? <laughs> Are they gonna, do people know what, clove tastes like you know do people have people tried black currants it's a common very common flavor note that comes up you're like have are people going to understand that so having more broad flavor descriptors so for example one of our blends its flavor profile is sweet citrus where it's 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 a little bit more broad it's not specifically lemon but it can be interpreted as a sweet citrusy quality, you know, might have that like zingy acidity, sparkling. And actually, furthermore, what I wanted to get to was I think, and this is something uh, when I cup, I, I write a lot of notes about is specifically actually the overall tactile experience, whether that being full body, sparkling, um, what, what is a, t- a term that we have on one of our coffees right now is opulent, <laughs> smooth, oh, <wow. laughs> um, silky. <laughs> so using other words other than specific flavors, I think is good too, because then it, it talks to the overall 
coffee experience, not just the flavors you're going to get. Because maybe maybe you're like, yeah, it has subtle flavors of cacao, but it's really balanced and smooth. And I like the aftertaste. I think those are giving giving coffee drinkers more than just flavor, I think gives them a path to enjoy maybe more than just what the coffee tastes like, but the overall experience. I think just to recap kind of for anyone listening, what I'm getting out of this is that if you're kind of a beginner intermediate coffee drinker and you're trying to take that next step, a couple of important things are one, obviously you're trying coffees, a lot of coffees, either it's, you know, maybe it's a black coffee only or espresso, but something you can compare a little bit. You're creating a vocabulary for yourself about those coffees and whether they're traditional, the flavor wheel is a great way to like learn a lot of what traditional flavors are, Mm -hmm. but also creating ways to talk about that coffee when you're thinking about it. And then taking that step beyond, yes, I like it. No, I don't. And going, okay, well, what is it that I do like about it? And what is it that I don't? And I think Mm -hmm. what I find for myself is sometimes I might take a, a sip of coffee and maybe wrinkle my nose a little bit and be like, oh, I don't know. But the more I start thinking about it and I'm like, okay, why don't I like it? What is it? What was the thing that went into it? Maybe it wasn't the coffee. Maybe it was how it was brewed. You know, there's mm-hmm. all these little things. And I think if you're trying to take that next step, it, it involves asking yourself those questions. You're going past that first level of like, don't like you're going, yeah. okay, why, why am I doing this? You've yeah. created a vocabulary And you mentioned something really important, I think, which is it is harder, you know, whatever your comfort level is with the pandemic, but it is harder to just pop into a shop and and hang out. But asking questions, you know, if you go somewhere and you've you'd like their coffee or you don't like their coffee, ask them why they think it's a good coffee or ask them what they get out of it. And there's always going to be I mean, don't ask it if there's 200 people waiting in line and they're trying to (laughs) do their job. But if there's time, certainly ask, and, and you might learn something about that coffee that makes you think about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think we just solved that. We yeah, that question. we did. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do think, and I mean, this goes for anyone who's buying coffee bags out there. Um, I think also to just the last part of like, maybe do we not have tasting notes on the bag? It's just knowing that the tasting notes are not the end all be all. (laughs) And like you might detect things that are not on the tasting are not specifically on the bag. And that's awesome. And like, those are further conversational starters. If you go back into that cafe and you're like, you know, I got this bag and I, I totally got that blueberry, but you know, I also got this, this and that. And then maybe that's your, window to creating a stronger relationship with your barista or, or, you know, furthering your palate development. I'm looking at a bag of coffee on my desk right here. And it, and one of the tasting notes on it is buttery. And I, as we were talking, I'm thinking how many different ways could I imagine buttery? And until I drink this coffee while thinking about it, I won't really know what they mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think let's uh, call it a day on this very first episode that we've done together for season three. I have like 400 more questions to ask you this season, all of them stemming from this conversation we just had. And so I want to I want to spread it out and give people something to look forward to for next week. Amazing. Thank you so much. I look forward to the next question. <laughs> I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> Okay, to recap some of the things Siri and I talked about today, 
We think zebras may or may not be living in Maryland. You should check out at San Diego Coffee Network for events like coffee smell competitions. And when you're ready to level up your coffee drinking experience, start drinking a bunch of different coffees or espressos and begin to create a language that helps you identify what you do or don't like, why you do or don't like it, and what characteristics you can identify in that coffee. Remember that coffee can be a full sensory experience. Taste, smell, mouthfeel, and even the look of your coffee can impact how you feel about it in the end. I think the language piece is one of the most important tools you can have, so I'm going to link to resources like the Coffee Flavor Wheel and the World Coffee Research Lexicon that we referenced on RoastWestCoast.com. That is all for this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast's Weekly Coffee Smarter Session. Thanks to Siri, she's doing some amazing things at Lofty Coffee. Be sure to check them out. I'll be back next week with an interview with Mark Wortman. He's the founder and head roaster of the Make Good Coffee Company. Mark got his start as a coffee blogger. A blogger, for our younger listeners, is basically the early 2000s version of a podcaster, someone who shared their opinions in written and visual form on the internet. I'll let him get into it a little bit further. I also gotta thank this show's supporters, Marea Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Roasting, Cafe La Terre, Cape Horn Coffee, Coffee Cycle, First Light Whiskey, and Camp Coffee Company in Oceanside. I'm going to be stopping by Cafe La Terre Solana Beach this weekend to check in on their efforts to get a new space open just north of there in Encinitas. As always, thanks to you, the listener, for asking questions that I then get to ask these coffee experts. Also, for sharing the show with your friends and for checking out my roast industry partners. You can find all the links on the website, roastwestcoast.com, where you can also subscribe to this newsletter and never miss an episode. I've got another coffee quote to close out the show today. It's from author Justina Chen Headley, who wrote, Adventure in life is good. Consistency in coffee, even better. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, and has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.